Welcome to Add Passion and Stir, Big Chefs, Big Ideas. This is the Share Our Strength podcast about people who are changing the world. I'm your host, Billy Shore. It's amazing when you realize how central food is to so many things that we care about. It affects our health. We see kids with nutritionally related problems, many of them overweight even though they're undernourished. It affects our ability to learn. She had to make sure she had lunch in the classroom because at the end of the day, that was going to be all she got. Food security affects our strength as a nation. Within arm's reach are people who are hungry, and there is a anxiety and a stigma attached to that. We're in California today. We usually uh, have these conversations in Washington, D.C., but we got out of town, and we're in the Bay Area. We're with uh, two very distinguished Californians, uh, Secretary of Health and Human Services, Diana Dooley, uh, is here with us. Diana, welcome. Thank you. And Tracy... Desjardins, who's been such a stalwart for Share Our Strength and our No Kid Hungry campaign. Tracy, you've helped us in so many ways. Thanks for being here. Thank you, Billy. Um, One of the things I wanted to start by doing is just have you each tell us a little bit about the kind of the path that got you to where you are. You're both incredibly successful, uh, successful leaders in the community in a variety of ways uh, and have been really focused on using your talents and sharing your strengths to make a difference in other people's lives. Um, Secretary Dooley, let's start with with you, um, because I know that you've uh, been in government before. You were part of Governor Brown's first administration. Here you are now as Secretary of Health and Human Services. Sure, thank you. I came here when Governor Brown was elected in 2010, which was a surprise to all of us who knew him, that he would do another tour of duty. Uh, I was with him in the 70s when he was governor uh, and was his legislative secretary there as a 20-something in a very young administration. He was 36 as governor when he was the uh, first time. But between those two, um, what I call Brown 1.0 and Brown 2.0, I went back to my home community, which is Central California, the rural part of California that isn't coastal and many people don't recognize is very much more like Kansas than it is like San Francisco. My husband and I grew up there. Uh, Our first daughter was born when I worked for the governor the first time, and we moved home to raise our family. And there we got very involved with organizations like Share Our Strength. Tracy, um, tell us about your career as a restaurateur and where it began. So coincidentally, I also come from the Central Valley. Um, I grew up in a small town called Fireball um, in the Central Valley um, to uh, my mother's parents who immigrated from Mexico. So I'm strongly identified with the Mexican population. I'm half Mexican. People never believe that because I have a French last name. But I grew up in a rural um, town. My dad was a uh, farmer, not an organic, you know, farmer that you find today, but the sort of small agribusiness and grew cotton sugar beets and rice. My dad refused to eat any kind of processed food. And so um, we didn't eat anything. And there was no fast food in the the town I grew up in. And so we didn't have access to that stuff. It was it was all whole real meals every day. Wow. And yeah, you're, yeah. Be, you're better than me. So I have a son who's 31 and a son who's 11. My 31-year-old, we drove to McDonald's every day on the way to school and got a McMuffin. And wow. my 11-year-old's never been in a McDonald's. Yeah. And probably never will be. Yeah. You know, it's just like yeah, well, totally I mean, different was, sensibilities. It was in vogue then. I yeah. mean, it was the thing to do. And, and, you know, my dad just wouldn't buy into it because he was a farmer. And my other, my grandfather was from Louisiana and really cared about food. And so it wasn't in our, you know, spectrum of things that we did. And what was your first restaurant? 
My first restaurant here in San Francisco is Jardiniere, which I'm still um, that was That was number one. That was number Got one, it. yeah. Got it. Yeah. Got it. Excellent. Yeah. Well, you know, one of the things that to me is so interesting about having somebody from the restaurant industry, having the impact you are, and having a very senior state government official uh, in Secretary Dooley here is um, one of the challenges we always face at Share Our Strength is – uh, I guess, based on the conviction that so many people have a strength to share, people have something to give back. Our politics today ha- has become almost a rarefied atmosphere if you don't have $2,700 to max out to a candidate uh, in terms of a donation or you know, you're know you not a pollster or a famous name. What, what role for you is, is there for you to play in politics? So I'm kind of interested, uh, Secretary Dooley, in how you see the connection between people kind of getting involved at the community level to make a difference uh, about things they care about and how that ultimately intersects with uh, government and policy and policymakers like yourself. When I started 40 years ago, the world was very different. It was a post um, Kennedy period. We had come out of Watergate. There was a lot of both cynicism and optimism at the same time. There was disappointment in uh, what we learned about the lack of transparency in the war and the Watergate break-in and all of that. But there was also a sense that we could do something about it. And being in Sacramento in the 70s was a very exciting time um, because there was a real belief that government mattered. And the partisanship was about how we did it, not what we did. Yeah, Um, I mean, the polarization. I mean, I remember... You know, sitting with Alice Waters and the Secretary of Agriculture, I was invited as a very young person when I first came to San Francisco to this dinner at Chez Panisse, and we were sitting there talking about, you know, environmental issues and agriculture. And I come from, you know, I mean, I grew up in an incesticide cesspool. Uh, you know, my, my father used all kinds of stuff that would, you know, make us stop breathing when you would walk in the house at the end of the day, and I was, you know, massively exposed. And I'm also from a small family farm, and there, I, I was sitting there listening to you know Alice's idealism, and 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 I just you know I thought God you can't see the forest through the trees you don't have any idea how much you have in common your goals have in common with a small family farmer yeah. and yet you think someone like my father is the antichrist right. Right. Um, you know because I mean if we said organic when we were growing up my dad would pound on the table and have a huge fit and that was not in our spectrum hmm. and yet you know I'm a big advocate now but much yeah. more so of sustainability than. Right absolutes around organics and that kind of stuff it's like yeah that i'm so glad to hear you say that because that's what i think as well i think that we get so extreme and even in the furtherance of good goals extremism can be bad Uh, and um, you have to shoot for the middle i mean it's you have to respect that there's no way to feed the world with everybody buying 100 miles from your Well, and I mean, it's like, you know, GMOs. I mean, it's like, really? Are they that bad? I mean, I don't think that they are. I mean, if they solve, I mean, you know, we should all be so privileged to be able to think about that as, as, you know, an aspect. But if your children are starving, you don't care where the, you know, how the food is, you know, how it comes to be. I mean, you just want to feed them. Uh, Agriculturalist ever to get the Nobel Peace Prize was the one who developed the rice that would survive under the water board. Norman Borlaug. Mm -hmm. Borlaug. Norman Borlaug. Uh, We've been hybridizing uh, plants and animals for a long time, and people don't really understand what that means. Um, I'm working with uh, Impossible Foods now, which is, um, Mm -hmm. you know, they're developing this this plant-based meat, and Mm -hmm. um, one of the components of it it has a genetically modified organism, um, but his whole goal is to create 
something that's scalable and will be sustainable yes. in the long term. That's right. And and so you know the, this um, plant blood is derived from a, the soy the root of a uh, soybean plant, mm-hmm. and to be able to produce it at scale, he's having to genetically modify a yeast that will will make this mm-hmm. this stuff yep. grow. Um, and, and he's what's you know, that called? What's your group called? Impossible Foods. Impossible Foods. Yeah. And we have one product that's about to come to market called, you know, it's Impossible Meat. It's a ground meat that's entirely plant-based. And it is, you know, so compelling because this is big picture stuff. This is how are we going to feed the world when, you know, our population, you know, grows. Well, similar story. I'm sure you know them. Uh, Last time I was out here before the ride training, Mary Sue and I were doing a ride down Venice Beach. And we're on our bikes at 6 in the morning. Mm -hmm. And a guy's riding toward us, uh, Seth Goldman, who started Honest Tea. And he's Mm -hmm. working with Beyond Meat. Mm -hmm. And he says to me, hey, we're doing um, an investor pitch today if you want to come and taste the, the burger they've got this beyond meat burger and i'm like the last guy in the world that would eat a, you know, a burger. veggie burger yeah. <laughs> um but this thing was amazing and they've got like 10 guys in white lab coats who have invented out of plants and peas mm-hmm. uh, a a meat that looks tastes feels they were cooking them on a, web, on a Weber ours kettle. is much better i have to try yours <laughs> i was impressed I, I was really there surprised. are there are competitors <laughs> So. Beyond yeah. Meat and Impossible Yeah, food. yeah. It but it's cool. really interesting stuff. I mean, if you ever wanted to come and visit, I'm yeah. sure that they would love to have you down there. Um, and then when you look at the like the multiple social issues that it addresses in yeah. terms of health, carbon footprint, you know, animal rights. I mean, it's just on and on and on. It's really cool. Yeah, it's pretty. It's pretty yeah. interesting. It's interesting yeah. stuff. But it's definitely a lightning rod, you know. Tracy, I know you. Uh, I, I just know a slice of your work through the lens of Share Our Strength, but you get asked to do and you actually participate in so many different community activities. Tell us a little bit about the kind of other the other kinds of things you're involved in and the what must feel like the enormous pressure as a chef and as a restaurateur because you're you're kind of a focal point in the community. A lot of a community really is built around your your restaurant and every good cause asks you to get involved. How do you manage that? You know, I I think that when uh, I mean, Share Strength was one of the fir- first organizations that really used chefs to to promote the organization and to work to raise money and and there's this great natural connection, obviously, between chefs and and food, um, which makes perfect sense. You know, chefs have hard jobs, and and I think it's important that we make good choices around who we really um, want to contribute to. And I mean, I I definitely want to drill down and see. I've been asked to be on boards before and looked at their financials and said, you know. I don't like the way that this is, you know, shaking down and what you're doing with your funding, and you know, so I, I pass. So I don't, I don't do that for every charitable event. But uh, if I'm going to be really involved with an organization, I really want to know what they're doing with their, with their money. And I think it's interesting for Share Our Strength, and I think that the chef's work, I've been particularly interested in the chef's work because it gives a window for people who otherwise wouldn't know because the work of Share Our Strength is working through other organizations. There, It isn't a direct service where you can say, uh, you know, you have to extrapolate how many, if you were in the news last week, that the number of children um, that are hungry has reduced um, is so attributable to your work, but it's not direct and it's hard to show. And so I think things like the uh, bike ride and the work of the chefs um, 
gives an environment for people to see how important, um, how real hunger is in America. I, I so appreciate the story of uh, your national spokesperson, Jeff Bridges, in starting his work about hunger uh, yep. abroad and then just being dumbfounded that there would be hunger in America and converting his attention to your work. Yeah, and which was actually the case with us as well. The Ethiopian famine was the catalyst for starting Share Our Strength, and most of our focus was international for our first two or three years. That also happened to be, if you remember back to 1984, which I'm sure you do very well, that was the middle of the Reagan years. Uh, there were lots of budget cuts. A lot of people in the United States were hurting, and we got very focused on what do we need to do to do here to make a difference. Well, I grew up in a, a very, um, you would call it poor today. It was a, a blue-collar 50s family. My father only went to the eighth grade. He was a farm laborer, worked in a dairy. His family had lost their dairy in the Depression, so he became a worker for the other dairy and then got a good job as a um, night person in a plant that bottled oxygen. And my mother didn't work. And, uh, you know, we made our lunches. It would have been, it was a big treat when I could afford the 25 sense to buy a hot lunch at school. Uh, and so um, uh, food was really important. Uh, food to poor families, particularly uh, if you could share something uh, with them. When anybody came to your house, it was pull up a chair and give them a meal. And I can remember so many times when my mother um, would feign that she wasn't hungry because there wasn't enough to feed the guest. But my father always said, pull up a chair. And so somebody else ate, and then she would you know, get something in the kitchen afterwards to be sure that everybody had something. Uh, and buying meat was very important. Um, and um, it, it, so food takes on an importance in people's lives, um, positively and negatively. And um, I'm particularly impressed with your um, the way the chefs have gotten involved with children's uh, cooking education. Yes. Mm -hmm. um, it, that has been fascinating to me to marry that uh, with good eating habits and making it easy to prepare good food and the whole hundred miles issues. And I know Alice Waters is um, involved too with you uh, and the work that she has done with her school um, gardens, the edible gardens. I took a few minutes yesterday to talk to a friend of mine who teaches school down in San Jose in, in anticipation of this conversation, and she had some really interesting insights as to school lunch programs and a lot of the work that, that Share Our Strength has done to bring food into the schools and to make sure that children aren't hungry while they're trying to learn and what the impact of that is. And she's very connected to food in the food world. Um, but she said she, she, you know, she always takes sort of a gut check when the kids walk in in the morning. And if they're late and they're looking kind of sleep sleepy, she sort of, um, you know, it's funny because she said she can she can see that they're bonking, which is something mm, that we, right, we right, use that right. word in, in bike riding. But they just don't, their lights are off. And, and it's not necessarily because they're tired, but it's because they're hungry. And so she will send them right to the, the cafeteria to get food which is available all day long now mm -hmm. um, because kids can't learn when they're, they're, you know, they can't learn when they're hungry. And uh, it's just sort of a gut check she takes with all of her third graders every morning to see if any of the kids look like they're hungry. And she'll just dismiss them, have them go get some food and come back. And she said it's just a much better day. Yep. Tracy, I'd like to talk a little bit about food and health because in the time that you've been a chef, you've probably seen enormous changes in terms of what people expect with the health component of their food and the 
pressure to eat well and to eat healthy. And I'm curious how it's changed your business, the degree to which you've tried to lead, the degree to which you've found yourself having to follow. How have you thought about it? I always think of Jardinier certainly as a very healthy restaurant. Um, well, it's interesting because, I mean, you know, for a long time, uh, nutritionists were saying that fat was bad, right? Um, and what we've found out, you know, fairly recently is it really is just trans fats that are bad um, and that fat is actually pretty good for you. Um, and so, you know, I've always sort of, you know, wondered about my own diet and, you know, chefs tend to eat a lot of really fatty foods. Um, but our approach to, you know, cooking in, in restaurants is is that we're always starting with whole foods, um, which is is actually the way that I grew up. Uh, growing up on a farm, we always had whole foods. We never ate anything that was processed. Um, and, and the same is true in, in restaurants and in fine dining restaurants where you might have high calorie counts and you might have pretty high fat. But we're always using foods that don't have any preservatives in them and that they are starting out from, you know, a cow. You know, they're starting out from, uh, you know, lambs and, and whole vegetables and whole grains. And, and, and that really is the pivotal piece of, of good nutrition, uh, we find out sort of, you know, late in the game, that it's really the processed foods that are, are, are really um, terrible for people um, and, and that people turn so much to that in um, the you know, pressures of their daily lives or their economic um, position uh, that they're they're looking for for easy. Um, when if they really did just start from whole foods, and it becomes that simple. I mean, it's like you really think about it as 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 breaking it down in that way and and not buying processed things. Um, that's really the key to good nutrition. Secretary Dooley, I've got to believe that if people ate better. Nine out of the ten things that you work on would be impacted by that in a in a pretty powerful way. Absolutely, uh, food and health are so directly connected. Probably most obviously in diabetes, but uh, all of the really chronic uh, conditions that uh, limit people's activity and impair their lives um, have to do with their lifestyle, uh, nutrition, and movement. Uh, and movement exercise doesn't, and they're so directly related, uh, you know, as you look at uh, programs of the, just the basic, I'm always saying I'm a lawyer, I don't do math, but I know enough about physics that, you know, the weight trade-off of uh, consuming calories and spending calories, uh, it, but the, um, the need to help people um, find ways to uh, make the right choices is hard um, because we've gotten faster and faster and faster in our lives. Sometimes I feel like it's a centrifuge and thank goodness the tether is still connected because we're just going to spin out into mm -hmm. outer space. We move so fast and it's uh, so we find ways to uh, economize and regrettably some of those have been um, you know, giving up the morning walk or uh, grabbing a McDonald's breakfast instead of doing something that, uh, as Tracy said, can be so simple. There, there's a long way to go, but I do feel that there is a sense that uh, people recognize what they eat matters and it leads to their health. Um, we've seen that certainly with the smoking campaign uh, over the last four years. Uh, California has been a leader, and uh, we're down below 20 percent, uh, and uh, we're, that'll be on our ballot again this year for a, a future move. If we can make the same kinds of, of um, 
media attention to the value of good food and, and eating well, uh, we will move the needle dramatically on some of the chronic uh, diseases that not only cost us a lot in our healthcare delivery, they're very expensive. 80% of the spending in healthcare is on fewer than 20% of the people. Um, but uh, they just lead better lives. People are healthier when they eat well. As we wrap up here, I'd love to hear kind of connected to um, the question I asked you, Secretary Dooley, about um, what you wanted to accomplish uh, when you first came into the office. I'd love to hear what you're kind of proudest of, what you think has been your the, the achievement that has really impacted uh, the people that you came into office to serve. Um, and I know I was, I was glad to hear you talk about that uh, experience you had being in the school because it must be challenging to work in Sacramento at high levels of government and still stay connected to the people that led you to do this in the first place? Well, that is what I miss most, uh, is being engaged in uh, activity that is tangible. Uh, it is very high level. Uh, where can we move the levers of government to make change on the ground is sort of, again, uh, important to me. Uh, how can we make the market respond and make the community respond, make the people respond in ways that um, give them the greatest advantage for successful lives? Tracy, as we wrap up, your your proudest accomplishment of, of many. How would you put oh, a finger on it? You know, probably the, the work that I do, you know, around with nonprofits. And, in the community. And, yeah, in the community. I mean, that's really the most compelling to me. We have a lot of work to do around, you know, sustainability and how we're going to feed our growing population in the world. Um, and, uh, you know, that continues to be a passion of mine to think about that and how we're going to produce food responsibly and, and not have a huge environmental impact and, and uh, you know, think about that as, as sort of the, the task ahead of us. Secretary Dooley and uh, Tracy Desjardins, thank you both very much for being here. It has been my pleasure. Thank you, Billy. Great pleasure, Billy. Always lovely to see you. Thanks. I hope you'll go to our website, shareourstrength.org slash passion, to discover how you can get involved to make a difference in your community. I'm Billy Shore. You're listening to Add Passion and Stir from Share Our Strength.